Welcome to the Postcard Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Mikatel. In the last episode, we talked about how the Great Depression actually had some positives for a lot of women. Because of the financial crisis, people were putting off marriage and single women were going to work and living and traveling independently for the first time. They needed advice, and 1930s author Marjorie Hillis became their celebrated guru to the single girl. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Joanna Scutz, who just published a book on Marjorie's life titled The Extra Woman, How Marjorie Hillis Led a Generation of Women to Live Alone and Like It. Today, we're sharing some New York travel advice, what women would have heard in the 1930s, and then some updates based on Joanna's recommendations. Let's jump back into the conversation. Marjorie Hillis offered advice to women traveling alone, and I would love if you could share some of her recommendations for a few New York things and then update them based on your <laughs> own New York recommendations. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so lunchtime. So Marjorie Hillis uh, loved, uh, there was a chain of restaurants called Schrafts, um, which was very popular and welcoming to women, which was unusual for restaurants in the 1930s. Um, so they really tried to make themselves somewhere where women could get lunch um, and be happy. I think lunch is, lunch is pretty easy in New York now because nowhere is going to make you feel like you shouldn't be there if you're a woman on your own. Um, there's a lot of great uh, restaurants in department stores if you want to want to do that. Let's see, if you're in Soho shopping um, and you want something that feels a little old school and a little bit classic, um, Balthazar is still a wonderful option any time of the day. Uh, it's a great big bustling um, French style brasserie that uh, you you know that that is just they do what they do really well and your celebrity sighting chances are pretty high. So that's always a fun place to go. How about dinner? That is really difficult. <laughs> um, dinner is dinner is really kind of up to you. I mean, one thing that I think that's very different about New York now and New York in Marjorie's day is that um, neighborhoods outside of Manhattan have become so um, so up to date and so much of the best, um, that so many of the best new restaurants are in um, are in Brooklyn now, and that's definitely not what it would have been like for, for Marjorie Hillis. So I would say, you know, explore some of those out of borough areas, um, Cobble Hill in Brooklyn, there's, uh, you know, or Williamsburg, Greenpoint has wonderful restaurants now, Astoria, where I live, um, is a great, is a great and growing kind of hub of restaurants. So, um, for that one, I would say, you know, be, be a little adventurous and get, get out of Manhattan. Give us a specific restaurant. Uh, so there's a wonderful restaurant. Um, I did a reading at a great bookstore in um, Brooklyn that's called Books Are Magic, um, which is on Smith Street. And there's a restaurant called French Louis there, which is wonderful. I've been there for dinner and uh, I've been there for brunch and they do both excellently. That's a that's a great one. Could you tell me a little bit about what the Barbizon was? The Barbizon is a great, uh, that's a, it's the name for a, uh, it was a single ladies hotel. Well, they called it a hotel. Um, it had rooms for rent like a hotel, but it also was a long-term lodging um, option. So there were several of these around the city. And actually, I think there's one or two of them that still survive. Um, they're, uh, what they were essentially was affordable and safe housing for young women who moved to the city so they had curfews. Uh, they had um, you had a bedroom, usually a very small bedroom, and there were very strict rules about who you could 
have in, you know, you couldn't have guests, overnight guests in your bedroom, but there were parlors downstairs where you could entertain visiting men. There were, um, you know, there was, uh, there were usually cafeterias and places to eat in the building. Uh, but the Barbizon was the most high end of all of these. It was very chic. It was, um, you had to be vetted by the, um, you know, by the management, you had to come from a good family. You usually had to have like a letter of recommendation. It was tough to get in, um, and, and very, uh, very snobbish. And, but if you made it in, you, you would meet other women just like you. Um, lots of them would be aspiring, uh, might be aspiring actresses. Many, many famous actresses passed through the Barbizon and, um, and lived there. And it's really its heyday, um, ran until the, until the 90, at least into the 1960s. When I lived in New York, I used Craigslist for everything. Is that still, do people still use that to find apartments? Definitely. Um, I think one thing, I think that a, Craigslist is still there. You have to be really smart about it and know that there's scams. And if something sounds too good to be true, it definitely is. Moving on to best places to go out at night. So where did Marjorie go out when she was a single girl? So there were a couple of uh, great places that uh, the late 30s, after the repeal of Prohibition, um, nightlife became a much more of a um, glamorous thing and very kind of, uh, you would have a lot of these big glamorous sort of ballrooms that would become, that became uh, sort of nightlife centers. Um, The Stork Club was a very famous, um, was a famous club that uh, the sort of evening Club is a weird word. Uh, let's see, what would it have been most like? It's a kind of a cabaret. Uh, there would have been uh, music, performances, um, but also dinner and drinks. And a lot of, uh, there was the Rockefeller Center, which was a new uh, development at the time. Um, the Rainbow Room uh, in the Rockefeller Center was also a place to go and see and be seen. A lot of big hotels in midtown Manhattan had ballrooms where they uh, where they put a cabaret um, and then also a lot of the glamorous clubs up in Harlem was still, uh, you know, very, this very swanky and sort of welcoming to, uh, to white audiences, um, but playing big band music and jazz. So there were a lot of these, um, wonderful places to go out. Um, but a lot of them were very, um, hard to access for a single woman. You had to usually had to have a date. Can you tell us about the rent-a-gent service? Yes, this is one of my favorite little details that I that I followed from Marjorie Hillis's um, her, so her book, uh, her guide to New York, which was from 1939, talks about a service whereby if you wanted to get into the Stork Club or one of these glamorous hotels, you could hire a man um, to be your date for the evening. And I was like, what was this a real thing? What does this mean? She says you could hire a, you know, you know, if you wanted a Hungarian count, he could be he could be provided. And this service actually existed. It was a, a guy who moved from the Midwest, um, who's a young man, um, young, ambitious guy who arrived in the city and realized that the depression meant that there were a lot of underemployed young men and there were lots of women visiting the city with money. And he saw a way to kind of put this together. And he got restaurant uh, hotel managers to recommend his service to their guests. And he supplied 
men who he always claimed were the you know the cream of the crop they were all they'd all gone to ivy league colleges they were all smart and presentable and you know impeccable morals and they would just take you out of the evening and that was all there was to it um but new york city did not think that this was um they didn't necessarily believe him so he was able to operate for a couple of years and then the city's kind of vice squad essentially uh, took him to court and said, this isn't, we can't have this. And um, they shut him down. But for, from Marjorie's point of view, this was a very practical solution to a problem for single women. And uh, yeah, no, once he was shut down, uh, nothing, nothing quite like that uh, arose in his place. What are your favorite places to go out at night? There are some great cocktail bars in the city now. It's always good to go out on a weekday if you can. Um, the popular cocktail bars get a little too crazy at the weekends, but um, certainly there are some wonderful ones. The Pegu Club, which is um, a wonderful cocktail um, mixologist uh, called Audrey, Audrey Saunders. Um, so it's a woman-owned, uh, woman-operated place um, on Houston Street in Soho. I love the Pegu Club. Closer to home in uh, Long Island City, there's a wonderful cocktail bar called Dutch Kills. That's a great one. Um, and there and there are new ones. Uh, the city is still kind of continuing to to reinvent uh, cocktails. Um, the whole speakeasy thing was was big for a while. And now these places have become a lot more um, sort of uh, a lot more mainstream. And a lot, you know, every every good bar has a has a great cocktail menu now. So it's really improved if you like uh, classic drinks or sort of modern versions of them. Moving on to shopping, um, where did girls shop back in the 1930s? How did it differ from today? It's a lot of department stores. Uh, Marjorie suggested that they call up Vogue and get advice if they're visiting the city, which is which is fun to imagine what kind of reception you would get now if someone if you called Vogue and asked them where to shop. But they but she said study the fashion magazines and look for where they are. Um, I think there's a lot of new places that are opening up now, um, places, especially around Soho and Nolita and those neighborhoods, where there's a couple of wonderful stores that are started out as online retailers and now have opened brick and mortar stores. And so that's an interesting kind of shift. So there's uh, the online retailer Everlane, which uh, which makes very practical basics, and they just opened a store. And um, there's a wonderful online retailer, uh, French retailer called Cezanne, and they just opened a store in New York. So those are two that are on my personal wish list right now. Where where do you go for some culture, and where did what did Marjorie like to do? That's one place where you can kind of still do similar things. She loved going to the theater and those, you know, you can still get to a lot of those same places that she would have gone in, uh, in the theater district. And um, I'm not really, I'm not a, a huge theater person, mostly because it tends to be out of my price range, but to see the big Broadway shows, but there certainly are wonderful shows, the public theater, which is, uh, which is downtown and a fantastic institution and um, off-Broadway, uh, you, you can still find um, a lot of great places to go. The movies were incredibly popular at, uh, in Marjorie's period. They really, uh, Hollywood really thrived in the, during the Depression. So there's a lot of wonderful uh, theaters in New York, uh, movie theaters in New York that now show uh, first-run movies, but also 
classics and uh, kind of obscurities. In Queens, where I live, the Museum of the Moving Image has a great theater, a movie theater, and they show um, all kinds of, of curiosities. They have a wonderful series where they show um, old movies on the big screen, kind of the, the understanding that these great epics like Gone with the Wind, you know, you just can't, you can't get the same experience on Netflix. So you really, so they have a, a, a series where you can see it big and see it on a big screen. And that's a really fun um, opportunity. I went there for the first time not that long ago and saw the Jim Henson exhibit there with all the Muppets and it was amazing. Yeah, it's great. And that's a, that they made that a permanent exhibit now. Um, it was a temporary one for a while, but now they, they got the archive. And so they have all the Jim Henson stuff and it's connected with the studios where they shot the, um, where they shot the, the TV show. So there, there's kind of a lot of, a lot of uh, movie and TV history, right? Right where I live in Queens. In, in Marjorie's writings on New York, did she ever mention where to take out of town guests? She was right. Uh, well, she she did and she didn't. She was writing more for um, for women going there by themselves. She basically said, "You figure it out. Figure out ahead of time what you like to do, and don't try to do too much." She wasn't very into sightseeing. She sort of says, "You know, if you want to go up to see Grant's tomb or you want to go to the Statue of Liberty, that's fine, but don't try to don't try to check all the sites off a list." Um, she was much more interested in the shopping and the eating and the nightlife, I think. And she, and she kind of says, only see the things that you really care about seeing. The museums are wonderful, but don't try to do four or five museums in a day. Otherwise, you'll exhaust yourself. And so, you know, she, she, was, she was really, she said, to make sure you, you pace yourself so you can actually enjoy it. Where do you mm -hmm. take out-of-town guests? I love the New York Historical Society. It is where I'm currently working. So this is a little bit of a of a plug, but we just opened a center for women's history. And that is a wonderful place to take out of town guests who are interested in, in women and their role in building New York and na national history. But the, the exhibitions are fabulous. And it is one of the things that um, it has one of the qualities I love most in the museum in that it's small. And it's, uh, well, relatively small. It's not tiny, but it's certainly smaller than the big, uh, the big hitters like the Met. And we have a wonderful, wonderful restaurant in that museum as well. So that's a good, uh, we're right by the National Natural History Museum, um, but are smaller and um, we're the oldest museum in the city. So that's a fun place to go. What do you want us to remember about Marjorie Hillis and the ideas that she championed? I think the most important thing is knowing yourself, knowing what you really want. And it can take a lifetime to do this, but to know what makes you happy and to not be afraid to organize your life to have as much of that in it as possible. Uh, I think it's very easy, especially for women, to put everyone else's happiness ahead of their own, especially if you have a family. So happiness is something that you deserve no matter what your romantic situation is. And, you know, you have to figure out what it is that makes you happy and just try to get as much of it into your life as possible. Well, thank you so much for sharing Marjorie's story with us. Where can people find out more about you? So you can go to my website, um, which is joannascutts.com, easily enough. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and, uh, and my book is in stores. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, Joanna. Bye, Sarah. 
Rent-A-Gents. That has to be my favorite story in this episode. And this is the second time we've heard mention of the shop Cezanne. Remember Lindsay told us about that in the Paris episode? So I will definitely be checking out that store. Okay, if you're hearing this episode before January 10th, 2018, I'm raffling off a copy of Joanna's book, The Extra Woman. You can enter by visiting postcardacademy.co slash extrawoman. If you'd like today's episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at sarah at postcardacademy.co or find me on Instagram at postcardacademy. That's all for now. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful week wherever you are. Hey, let's continue the conversation. Head on over to my blog on Substack for more content on how to thrive through better communication, stoicism, and global exploration. That is right. Blogging is cool again over on the Substack platform. There you can chat with me in the comments, and I have plenty of bonuses for paid subscribers, or you can just read for free. So click the link in the episode notes to access the Substack Live Without Borders.